Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this is the podcast for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We'll be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession and share fun of the, some of the funny stories that happen along the way. Apologies uh, for the uh, the break that we've just had about about a month or so. Uh, it's been a very crazy uh, few weeks uh, over here at the Primary Education Voices. Uh, I had had plans to uh, record a, a number of episodes uh, before the Christmas holidays, but uh, with the Christmas season and visiting Santa and all the usual family things that happen uh, and, and a few other um, kind of scheduling errors as well with a few guests, uh, it meant that we had to not have an episode in the last week of the last half term. And then I had a great master plan in order to uh, make sure that we were ready for the new year in, in, in recording a bunch of episodes throughout the Christmas holidays. And then uh, I got COVID-19 uh, along with my daughter as well. Uh, and so we had to uh, isolate for 10 days, meaning that our Christmas was delayed. And so uh, the days which people were very busy before Christmas, which I couldn't really interview many people in, didn't get to see many there. And of course, uh, we wanted to actually celebrate some sort of Christmas later in the holidays when more people may have perhaps been free as well. So it's been a bit of a scheduling nightmare, but hope you'll stick with us and uh, we'll get uh, our regular episodes out to you um, very soon. Uh, for this uh, episode today, we sat down with Sam Keys. Uh, Sam, uh, was was recommended to us uh, for the podcast uh, and it was great to have a chat with him he's a year six teacher at senko and a deputy head so a very busy person uh, and he's passionate about send pshe mental health and working in partnership with parents and other teachers in other schools as well i loved our chat with sam and so sit back and relax and enjoy the primary education voices chat with sam keys Hello and welcome to the podcast, Sam Keys. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing all right, thank you very much. It's uh, starting our Christmas holidays, which is always a nice time. Uh, so we'll get started, Sam, with your quick fire questions, uh, first of all. Uh, and so let's dive in straight away. First of all, what is your Twitter handle? I am at Mr. Keys underscore DHT. Excellent. Uh, and how many years have you been in primary education, Sam? This is my 10th year. Excellent. And uh, in those 10 years, Sam, what has been your primary journey so far? What roles and responsibilities have you had in that time? So um, I started off teaching in a year four or five split class in the school that I trained in, um, which was lovely. And then I moved to a year two, three class, which was a real challenge being a split key stage. And at the end of that year, um, the Senko role became available in school and any Senkos listener will know that not many people put their hats into the ring for the Senko role um, and I was sort of coaxed into it a little bit. I'd always been a little bit interested um, in that side of education and uh, shadowed the Senko for the next year uh, while I completed the, the Senko award. Um, then became Senko, became part of the leadership team and then Four years ago now, um, applied for a deputy headship and sent go to school on the other side of Newcastle and got that. And I've been there and teaching year six ever since. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, what is your favourite subject, Sam, and why? 
Oh, good question. Um, well, that's a really tough one. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say English, just because it's so diverse. You can be teaching reading, you can be teaching writing, you can be teaching the intricacies of spelling and grammar and various punctuations that you may or may not use in later life. Um, but English, just because it's so varied, and you can you could be teaching a lesson on a Monday and teaching a lesson on a Tuesday and be completely different. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of skills under that umbrella there, isn't it? Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, and then in your own education, Sam, did you have a favourite teacher and uh, why were they your favourite teacher? Yeah, um, I speak a lot about this teacher. I went to see, I went on a conference years ago um, with Sir John Jones and he talked about teachers being magic weavers and he, he set everyone the challenge of like reaching out to their favourite teacher from, from their childhood and the first person that came to mind for me was um, Mr. Clifford, who was my psychology teacher at A-level at the sixth form, but he was an RE teacher in the school as well. And do you know when, do you know when somebody just gets you? They just understand you. And I was going through a bit of a tough time. Um, parents were separating, mental health challenges, anxiety, th- those sort of things. And this this Mr. Clifford, he just made time to let me know that he understood. And he didn't necessarily say it explicitly. I just felt it. And um, I reached out to him after that that conference from uh, John Jones, and he sent an email back as well. And, it, you know, it, he was the same person in his response in the email as he was when I was there at 15, 16. So, yeah, definitely Mr. Clifford. Amazing. That's fantastic. And then finally, Sam, if you had to, or if you already do, you can pick one you do already, uh, what after school club would you run? Um, I, I love football. I, I'm a qualified coach. I used to coach county schools football. Um, I don't have the time as much now with with a little one. Um, yeah, definitely football. I love taking my after school football club. What, what What do you think about football? Is it that uh, that stands out to you as an after school club to run? I think. We're given we're given some kids opportunities, and I'll, I'll probably talk about that later on. Some of my other answers. Um, I remember as a as a kid, I didn't get a chance to do those sort of things. I didn't get a chance to go to the after school club because of various different situations. And some schools have got this like, you you can only come to this club if you you know you play on a weekend or you play this level of football. I really like the idea that anybody can come. And so my football club is literally everyone. Um, I split the key stages and things like that, but you've got the people who are, you know, playing in your Saturday league teams and your people who are kicking the ball for the first time. I love that you can you can create excitement and fun and games around something like that. It brings people together. Yeah, that's fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you for those. Those are fantastic. Some great answers. Uh, we'll go into a kind of our more scheduled questions now. And so uh, the first one, really, that we I'd love to find out more about and dig a bit deeper with is what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place, Sam? Yeah, my my route into, into primary education was maybe not as, as normal. Some Often you hear people who want to be a primary school teacher since they were little and it's their dream and all that sort of stuff. I really, really, really wanted to be in the police, like always, for as long as I can remember. Um, and then just, I, I did a degree in psychology and criminology with the view of, you know, wherever that was going to take me in the police. And then in one of the summers in between, I did some volunteering for um, uh, for the council in, in North Tankton, yeah, Newcastle. 
um, working with children who are at risk of offending um, and we're taking them out on days out and activities. And I was having, you know, conversations with these kids and I guess it sort of set the ball rolling a little bit that maybe it wasn't the police that I wanted to be involved in. Maybe, maybe it was youth work, maybe it was, I don't know, social work. I, I still wasn't sure. And then in the the end of the second year at university, we did a module on um, child psychology and attachment theory and things like that. And from then on, I couldn't shift this idea that, you know, I wanted, to, I definitely wanted to work with children. So did some volunteer work in my old primary school. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I couldn't see, couldn't see myself anywhere, anywhere else. So yeah. Um, and I guess thinking again about that, you know, that teacher and the impact that they had on me. And, you know, be, having the chance to work in the community I grew up in and everything just sort of felt right. And I felt I felt at home when I walked into the primary school. And I definitely think you, you can make such a huge difference in a primary setting. I'm not saying you can't in a secondary, I think you can, but I think it takes a different type of person. I don't think I'm the person that could, could handle the, I don't know, there's different challenges, isn't there, when you look at secondary school. But yeah, I, I, ever since that time, I walked into that that my old primary school and did two weeks experience before applying for a skit. Um, I, I couldn't see myself anywhere else, and I've, I've not looked back. So I suppose listening to to kind of your answer there, it's it's the the side of uh, the point that you know the impact you can have as an individual on on these kids and just the the influence for good that you can be in their lives. That was kind of what drove you. Uh, to yeah, definitely, hundred percent. That's that's it. And it, you look at. You often look back, don't you, at the people that influence you, and obviously they're the, the, the people that inspire you to go on and do what you do. And to have that opportunity, it's a real privilege. I, I really feel that, and especially, like I say, being in you know the, the school that I taught in for the first sort of six or seven years was like half a mile from my house. You know, I knew I knew where this was. I knew the families. It was it was yeah. I definitely felt privileged. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and then obviously that led you, like you mentioned, to go and uh, pursue the skits and various training opportunities. Do you remember the first time you were in front of a classroom and, and kind of what feeling you had? Yeah, I, I was absolutely terrified. I didn't sleep the night before. Uh, and I was, you look back now and laugh. I was asked to read like a short sort of extract from a story and ask two or three questions. And I remember it being the biggest thing in the world. And the thing that I remember the most is, the feeling afterwards, I felt like I just, I felt like I just walked off the stage at Glastonbury, like I was a rock star. Like I just, do you know, it was such a high, and I know nerves are because you care and all that sort of stuff. It was completely new, and I look back now, and whenever I have a student in my class, and I'm asking them to do the same thing, I really understand how big that is. It's not just a case of oh, just look after them for five minutes. It's huge. Um, but yeah, I felt sick. But yeah, the the high is something. Something you you can't replace. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the first things that many of us do is it's just kind of just read a story to them. And you're just like, what me? Just just read a story. Yeah. It's like okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a wonderful memory there. Speaking of memories and, and stories we can share from being in primary education, obviously we have some uh, some funny things that happen along the way. I was wondering, Sam, if you could share one of your funny stories from being in primary education for us. Yeah. When you when you sent the questions and I saw this one, I thought there's there's a couple of good ones. Um, we, we used to in my previous school make a big thing about the end of year trip, and you know teaching kids from mixed backgrounds and some kids that don't get great, you know 
opportunities to experience things. So we want to, you know, go out with a bang and give them a really big send off. So we booked this big day out. We're taking them down to um, Castleford near Leeds, and they were doing the indoor ski slope. And then we we're going to go bowling. We we're going to have a big meal and all that sort of stuff. So we piled on the bus um, fairly early on in the day, and and headed down to headed down to Leeds. And I, I must have been, this must have been my second year teaching, still quite fresh-faced fresh faced and young. Uh, anyway, the bus the bus broke down, pulled over on the side of the um, side of the motorway, had all the kids piled off, had them all up against the fence. Staff were a little bit, you know, nervous. So, so the parent helpers were panicking and texting and I'm probably Facebook updating and things like that. And the police, the police pulled up. And so I, I walked over thinking, I'm, I'll go and chat with them, see what they need to do. And the policeman shouts, son, get back, go get your teacher. And I was like, I am, the, I am the teacher. And he was having absolutely none of it. And he escorted me back to the teacher who was maybe one or two years my senior. And she had to she had to vouch for me that I was the teacher of the class. The kids were absolutely wet. <laughs> and I'm sat there. He was full of apologies afterwards. But yeah, a little bit awkward. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I think... Uh... We, we've had some similar stories where you know a, a teacher's been um, like kind of uh, misinterpreted as one of the children, but by a policeman like at the side of a road. Well, that's a pretty yeah. high intense situation to then. Yeah, kind of and he was, he was having none of it. I had to I had to get somebody else to prove it. Yeah, but I suppose it's a nice compliment though. Uh, in some I, yeah, I'll take it as that now. Absolutely, it hasn't happened since. So maybe he's, yeah, maybe there's a few more greys now. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks for that. That's a, that's a great, great uh, story there. Uh, we're we're going to dive in then to, straight to your primary three. And thanks for sending me those ahead of time, Sam. Uh, really appreciate that. And I really enjoy discussing the primary three with, with our guests. For those that are listening to the podcast for the first time, maybe, uh, the primary three are three things about primary education that the guest is really passionate about. Three primary things about primary education, uh, which they think are really important. They could be ideas, philosophies, resources, or anything really. Uh, so Sam, you've sent yours ahead of time. And so the first one you've sent is about prioritizing relationships. So first of all, why is that such an important thing for you in primary education, these relationships? I guess I, mean, I was I was on some training um, again early on in becoming a, a special needs coordinator. And uh, I think that it was Professor Barry Carpenter. And it was a session about um, autism in girls, actually. And one line just sort of sticks out and you often get that don't you when you go on some cbds you take away something there's a big line in it was uh the anxious child is not a learning child and i really stewed on that and really thought about that and thought all of the different situations that make you feel anxious in a day and the situations that made me feel anxious as a child and you know whether it's that they forgot their lunch or whether it's that you know they don't have that confidence in a certain subject you know typically often with it maths isn't it you know you come you come to school already with all of this baggage and the teacher's job first and foremost for me is to say right I'm going to take that off you you're in this classroom now let's just be let's just be here and relax and you'll know, park all of those worries or you know or deal with them or whatever it may be and remove that anxiety and it's through the little things you do whether it's your you know, visual timetables, whether it's the conversation at the door, you know, there's, you know, um, Peter Harden, who's on Twitter is an amazing muggle talks about this. He, um, 
you know, the, the conversations he has with those kids straight away before they've even got to his classroom, he's completely put them at ease. They're excited to be in his classroom. And I think that's the first hurdle, isn't it? If you can make them feel safe, secure, understood, welcome, valued, trusted, respected, all of that, they're going to take on every single thing you say. After that comes, you know, behavior is good because they want to be there for you. They want to behave for you. They want, you know, they want people to be proud of them. I think if you can get a relationship right in your classroom, you, you, you're already three quarters away there. I, I say this to trainees that come into my class. I don't think I'm that good a teacher, but I think I'm really good at that first bit. I think I'm really good at making, you know, a, a safe and welcoming environment. And, you know, obviously I want to be a good teacher and I'm not criticising that. I'm sure I can do one or two things right. But I think the bit that I do really, really get right is I make that classroom a safe space where they want to be. And I think by prioritising that above everything, um, above, your, you know, how whiz-bang your lesson is, above whether it's all your vac and all that stuff that people have talked about in the past, get get relationships right first. And that's, that stretches way beyond the classroom, doesn't it? It stretches, you know, now I'm in a leadership position. I think about that in terms of staff. You're going to get more from staff if they feel trusted and respected, if they feel that they're listened to and, you know, valued, same with parents. You know, in my in my first school, there were some parents who um, had a, a poor relationship with the the structures in place for special education needs. And your go-to reaction sometimes is to go, oh, well, they're complaining again, they're complaining again. And actually, maybe you need to flip on its head and give them a little bit of a chance to speak and give them a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, we set up a, a, a forum for parents to come in and, share all of these opinions and I give them some training. I got all of the the people that were coming in to do staff training. I was offering it to these parents of, of SEN children as well. And it changed the narrative completely because it became a team as opposed to a I'll be honest with you, it was a battle at times and it became it became a you know collaborative effort. Um we got nominated for an award from from the National Association of Special Education Needs. It, you know it was a really nice thing. We weren't doing it for the award. We're doing it for the culture shift, and that was all just about relationships. Yeah, I think. Well, there's some really good, really good points you make there. <laughs> Sorry, on... sometimes when I get started, I, I just keep going. <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm going to focus first on what you said about with with the kids in the class. It's interesting, actually, isn't it? You you kind of often hear this oft said thing when a when a, a student teacher or, or a trainee teacher or an NQT goes into uh, or or ECT goes into observe a more senior member of staff and they watch them teach, they just kind of sit and wonder, what what are they doing different? How are they getting these kids to pay attention and listen when they seem to be doing the same behaviour management things, the same things that I'm doing? And in some cases, they're not even having to use those behaviour management techniques. Like, How are they getting to, to do that? And it is down to those relationships, isn't it? Those those teachers have had mm-hmm. years and years and years of developing relationships with these young these young people. And even though it's a different set of new young people in front of them, they know how to build those relationships a lot better. And I think, like you say, that that is one of the most important things we can do as teachers. Obviously, the subject knowledge is important. Obviously, those teaching approaches are important. But, you know, if we get those relationships, then a lot of the hard work is done there, isn't it? Definitely. You know, it's it's the the subtle nods, you know, to the the child that needs that little confidence boost. It's the you know, you've spotted when someone's having a bad day and so you know that you're not going to target them for three or four questions before they've had a chance to warm up. 
you know, all of those things, it comes with time, doesn't it? And, you know, we're still learning now, you know, I'm 10 years in and you're still figuring things out and you, you make mistakes. But I do, I remember that. I remember going to see one teacher and it was, no thanks, I come. So I've got this, um, a bit like an interview room, you know, with the, the two women, is it one way or two women, where you can see through, but they can't see you. Yeah. And I remember watching this teacher walking around the class and the kids were lapping up everything they were doing. It was am- it was inspirational. And I was like, I was looking really into the fine details. I was like, the resources are pretty standard, you know, stuff that I've definitely used. There's nothing whiz-bang about the classroom. You know, the seating plan isn't really anything, you know, amazing. It was literally the relationship that that teacher had with those children. There was genuine, you know, fondness of each other. There was genuine care. The atmosphere just, you, you felt it. And, you know, what a, what a compliment for that teacher as well. But, like, it's, it's, it's more than half the battle, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because once they are, you know, once they, that relationship is made, they're more likely to listen. And even if there is a struggle or a difficulty or, or an anxiety that's there, they know that you're going to support them through it. Not that necessarily you're going to make it say that everything's all right and anything goes, oh, yeah. but that you you have their best interest at heart and that you recognise that they need certain needs at times and that you will be aware of those. And actually, it's recognising as well. You mentioned uh, anxieties that children have. Uh, and sometimes for us, as a teacher at the front of the room, those anxieties to us can seem, oh, that doesn't matter. That, you know, just get on with it, it's fine. But actually, to that child, like you mentioned, it's huge. You know, that will completely change their day, their week, their month, maybe. Uh, and so, you know, it's sometimes on our side of things, recognizing, okay, ultimately, this isn't a big thing, but for this child right now, this is. So let's talk through it. Let's work through what we can do to help support this child. I think that's a really important point you made there. Yeah, it's ve- that's very much the the thrive approach for those people that use thrive. Um, like recognizing that emotion and that child might not even be able to name that emotion at that time. We've got a phrase in school and we've got, a, you know, posters around the, the wall, catch it, match it and offer it back name. So if you see an emotion or someone's shown an emotion to you, recognize it, you know, attune to how they're feeling. Oh, I can see you're really upset. That must be really tough. Um, how about we try this? And you, you're naming that emotion. You're giving them that emotional literacy that emotional understanding but you're giving them a way out as well because we've all been there in that moment when you're feeling we call it dysregulated in our school when you're feeling uncomfortable sometimes you don't know what to do sometimes you need that way out and the way you're asking for it you know might not be in a conventional way but yeah you're definitely right it's we're giving them that help absolutely and then you mentioned of course going on to parents and how this this idea of relationships is really important with parents and actually you know as, as kind of a, a new leader myself in, in a school like I'm recognizing that the relationships of parents is such an important thing and like you say at many times as teachers we could think oh you know parents you know there's complaining complaining and having these issues but actually sometimes like you say is just taking time to listen and actually sometimes when when you do something in the class or as a leader in the school and you kind of think you make clear what you're trying to do, but then parents either miss part of that communication or they read it and they just kind of don't quite get where you're trying to come from with it. Just having that that face-to-face conversation, you know, can often diffuse any situation because they're seeing, oh, wait, you are trying to, I see what you're trying to do. And I've, I, I thought you were trying to do this, but I've not quite understood or I just missed this bit. I see where you're coming from. Or maybe sometimes they'll, they'll still disagree with you 
but they yeah. see that actually you're trying to do the best that you can for everyone involved in the school. And I think that's a really good point there about just talking to the parents and having that communication. Definitely. Definitely. You know, sometimes we are quick, you know, we use all of this language all of, all of the time, whether it's, you know, describing a lesson or how we, you know, or, or describing what, you know, how you track monitor and assess and things like that. And we use this language all the time with other teachers and other people in school. And, you know, just to use a silly example, when I was in the hospital, when my wife was giving birth in, in uh, the summer, the doctors were talking to each other and they were explaining something to me and I had no idea what any of it meant. So that's their, you know, that's their day-to-day language, but it's completely new to me. It's the same for parents sometimes when you're talking about you know whether they're emerging or expected or exceeding, and you know, you know what what um, the interim you know assessment framework saying about you know whatever it may be. We're com- we're speaking another language sometimes. One example we had um, school reports, and we're sending them home every year. And um, some of the children were going home as emerging or red every single term. That must be so disheartening for a parent. So. We, we asked them what they wanted to know instead. Instead of us telling them what they wanted to know, said, what, what would you like to hear? And like, oh, well, is there any progress within that, that, that band that they've made? Is there any progress in other areas that they've made? What are the, you know, I know he was really good on the, the football team. I know she sang a solo at the school performance. Could you not tell us that as well? Um, and just giving them that platform, and then especially if you follow through with it, the status that they feel they've got and, the, you know, You've got a little bit of influence on on how that you know how those decisions are made. It's it's massive, and we're you know we've got busy days, haven't we? You know what? When somebody is coming in to make a complaint, your first thought is, well, I've still got that pile of Martin to do. I've still got to go and have that meeting. You you you're automatically putting them in the box that this is going to be negative before we've listened to them, and it it must be hard. You know, I, like I say, my my daughter's only five months, so I'm not on that school, that other side of school yet. But I will be one day. But it must be tough. Um, I think compassion is important, isn't it? But if if you've established a good relationship and given them a space to talk, then that's only going to help. You know, one of the um, courses I went on, they talked about parents being the, the having the other pieces to the jigsaw that you might not necessarily have. Yeah, you know, they know if son or daughter hasn't eaten their breakfast and they know if their son or daughter downloaded the new minecraft update and were on it until four o'clock in the morning that could be really key to whether or not they're going to understand improper fractions the next day you know it's yeah it's to to senior level yeah absolutely i think like that's a really good point about we we plan these intricate schemes of work We, we plan these series of learning over many many lessons and if one lesson is missed or not quite taken in right, then, you know, that can have a big impact. Uh, and so understanding individual children and where they're at each day is such an important thing. And the only way we can do that really is having that, that key relationship with parents. And I think, like you say, relationships throughout primary education with the children, with the parents, with, with school leaders, you know, all of these, you know, is like you mentioned in, in your uh, kind of thoughts about the primary three is built on this kind of trust and, and support and recognizing that, Everyone, even though from your perspective, you know, you're seeing some things that maybe you're not too happy with, you know, that person or that leader or that parent or that child is just trying to do their best uh, and that you can try and support them or be with them through that. So that's, Absolutely. 
That's fantastic. Well, let's move on to the second of your primary three. It's a really, really great start there, Sam. Uh, some th some thoughts there to think about in, in our own practice. Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is working collaboratively. So uh, talk about, first of all, why that is such an important principle for you in primary education. I think sometimes you can get stuck in a bit of a rut of being quite inward and you just see what's going on in your school and it might be really good, you know, really good practice and you're listening to the teachers that have been there for however long and you're learning from them. When I moved to another school, like I say, four years ago, a world was like opened up to other things going on. Or when I joined Twitter or when I went to my first teach meet or whatever, or Bruet or whatever it is, now, hang on a second, there's another way? And I think by expanding that network, I've learned so much. I've, you know, I've, I've accessed so many new resources that I wouldn't have heard of if I hadn't been open to that. Um, my practice has definitely improved. I think my leadership sort of philosophy has changed as well because of being, you know, open to other people's ideas and experiences. You know, just at um, the start of November, I went to Paul Watson's school, um, NOBA, the North Ormsby Primary Academy over in um, Middlesbrough. And, Mike, what, a, what an incredible experience that was. And already we've changed stuff in our school in that, you know, four weeks before we broke up afterwards, um, on the back of just looking at another school. And I think there's that many opportunities out there. It's, you know, we need, we need to keep looking for them because one school's practice doesn't have to stay the same just because it works. You know, there's so much more out there. So, yeah, I'm all about collaboration. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think, uh, like you've mentioned already, this idea of collaboration uh, is such an important thing. And in terms of how we collaborate, there's so many ways. You mentioned a few there yourself, you know, with courses and Twitter and teach meets and various things like that. Uh, in terms of um, collaboration and um, what, what are kind of some benefits you think that come, like, like specific things that come out of collaborating with, with other schools and other teachers? What, what things have you gained as you've collaborated with other teachers? So, um, a big thing is uh, light, uh, lightened workload. Um, one of the things that I've done recently is um, through Pubble, I've been able to moderate um, some writing with schools around around the country, but equally around the world. We've linked up with some um, international schools, and so I'm uploading some of my you know end of end of unit writing or whatever it may be. And when they get a chance to log on, they're giving me a judgment of where they think that child's at, you know, based on that little portfolio. Obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assess it anyway, but having that second opinion without even, you know, having to drive across to the other side of Newcastle and find a parking space in a busy car park and drink some, you know, lukewarm tea and biscuits that have been out for too long and have a moderation session, it's there instantly. So that's been really good, lightning workload. Um, changing something that's you know you, I went on a, a science course some, another school had recommended and they said oh there's a there's a full um, sort of block of, of, of resources already made for that um, evolution and inheritance topic try this try that something that I've really it's bothered us every year teaching this topic because I've never I've never enjoyed it I've never felt I was doing it justice and I've really knew you know, how to change it, make it more exciting. And they said, oh, try this, try that. This worked for me. 
I've gone back with a real buzz about that. The kids have gained from it. So it's like my workload and that I've gained resources. It's increased my enthusiasm and it's increased the children's enthusiasm and therefore outcomes. All just by being open to the fact that somebody else is doing it differently. Um, one of the things at, at Nobet I went to look at was their provision for um, children with English as an additional language. Um, we think it's something that's really hit us over over the last two years, lockdowns and things. And simple things that they were doing with the iPads, things that we've got on our iPads that I hadn't even realized, like the translate tools where you can take a picture and it translates the text that's already on that poster. Didn't even know it, sat on the iPad for however long. Just these are real game changers. And to us, it's a quick, you know, a quick thing to do. But to those kids that have had this resource translated, that's life changing. It's like, it's seriously impressive stuff. And it was already sat there, just not being used. But I really think that, um, you know, these opportunities through building up your network are so vital. And, you know, observing, teaching and, and learning and visiting schools shouldn't just be for newly qualified teachers or ACTs or or even senior leaders. It should be for everyone. It, you know, I remember a teacher told me fairly early on that that's what your PBA is for, you know, getting out and seeing other practice, but just didn't do it. And I know finding the time is incredibly hard, but that half day that I spent at, at Paul Watson's school is completely game-changing. And, you know, I'm definitely going to explore, you know, where else I can go and what else I can see because somebody's, you know, in another school has definitely got an answer to one of the problems you're facing, you know, and it's there, it's there to be seen. And, you know, for free, you know, they're letting you, they're letting you in for free. It's mutually beneficial because they're, you know, I was able to give them some feedback on what I'd seen in the day. Um, and from that, I've taken so much. So, yeah, really, really, you know, passionate about working collaboratively, whether that's just, you know, do something like this, this, you know, this is working collaboratively when you're listening to somebody else's episode because you're, you're finding out more about their practice and their school or going to a brewhead or teach me when they're, they're back up and running again or, you know, there's so many opportunities um, and Twitter's great for that. You know, I've become a bit a bit more of a recluse on Twitter over the last sort of, yeah, I had a quite a large phone on my previous account and I, there was a lot of noise in that there was, you know, arguments and things that I didn't want to get involved in. It took away from the shine of, you know, what I liked and, so now I consider myself a magpie on Twitter. I go on and I look for the shiny things. That's fantastic. And I think it's a really interesting point you make, actually, about how <clears throat> often it is early career teachers or senior leaders that get to go out and see other schools or see other practice. And actually, the vast majority, you know, the, the 80% of other teachers in the school don't get to do that. And uh, I, I feel very passionate about that. One of the things I did in one of my schools was try and develop this this program where teachers could spend, you know, 20 to 30 minutes out of their classroom and just get into another classroom and just see how yeah. another teacher in the school teaches. I mean, obviously we're talking here about kind of externally connecting with other schools and different ideas, but actually even just seeing other teachers in your school uh, is a wonderful thing to do as well. 100%. That, you know, that's a star, isn't it? And I remember one of the teachers when I was in my first school was so incredible and I got to see her because I was training in that school, but nobody else knew. Nobody else knew how good a teacher they were. And it's a wasted resource, isn't it? No, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I think uh, just 
opening up and and sharing and actually recognizing that you know even if you don't feel you do you know something that's incredible like one thing that's a brand new idea that everyone else is going to be really interested in it isn't so much that it's just seeing how you work and seeing what you do because when you what you'll find is that in the way you work you'll just do something slightly differently that'll make someone else stop and think oh that's an interesting way of doing that Why, why do you do that and actually it gets you to kind of question and think about and reflect on your practice more but it might get them to think oh well there's one little thing that they could try and do differently and the reality is is and as we know you know when we're doing kind of all this research and we're reading things and we're finding things out and we're looking on twitter and discussing on there you can't possibly change everything in one go you're just gonna have to pick little things here and there to to just uh, embed in your practice but if you're doing that on a regular basis, then your your teaching will be better in the long in the long term. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really really great point there. Uh, let's move on uh, very quickly to the, to the last of your primary three, uh, and let's uh, have a talk about that. So the third thing that you've shared is a blog. Um, so do you want to share with us uh, what the blog is, where people can find out about it, and what what uh, why is it so important to you in primary education? Yeah, there's a, a great blog um, that I, I, it's a long story how I stumbled across this one. Um, I think it probably involved fantasy football about six years ago and ended up linking with this person on Twitter, Stephen Connor. He's at Stephen Connor 7. And he's got a blog called In the 12. So it's in the12.wordpress.com. And um, the reason it came about is in this, this, um, conversation I was having I was really struggling at the school at the time was doing talk for writing and I was really struggling to find a really good text for um, a particular theme of talk for writing and Stephen sent the link to this blog post um, and it's sort of a conquering the monster story and it's called the Tibicina and he shared this full journey from start to finish in this talk for writing blog like how he taught it it was it wasn't like teach it like this do this then do this then do this he was like I've tried this and this could work, but I, if I did it again, I might try this. It was really reflective and really refreshing to hear. Um, and I, I picked it up that year and I've taught it every year since. And I know if I want a really, really high quality bit of writing, I know I'm going to teach that block and I time it right. I used to do it really early in the year. Now I, I leave it later on um, when the, the kids have got a little bit more um, writing experience, writing stamina. And it, it works every year without fail. And I think it's because I'm so passionate about how good it is and how well it was written by Stephen and, and how well, you know, it was crafted and things like that, that, that you know, that whole unit, I mean. Um, and so on that blog as well, there are a load of book reviews. I know recently he's done, like, um, resources to go with books, sort of, sort of read-along things and uh, almost like comprehension activities. It's just it's just a, a genuine teacher who's written stuff in a really easy to read way um, that you can pick up and it can influence your your practice. So I guess like he's not he's not done anything groundbreaking, but he's just done the things that he does really, really well. Um that was almost an insult there. I'm not insulting <laughs> he's fantastic. Um he's just done it really well and I I, I recommend it because he doesn't I don't think he um he shouts about it very much, but it's, it's a really good resource. Mm. Yeah, I was having a look through actually uh, just before we uh, just before we connected uh, at it, and there's so much on there, uh, and it's really easily kind of 
uh, categorized as well as so you can have a look through all the different things there but uh no it's interesting and i think like you say this is a perfect example of what we were just talking about in your second of the primary three which is connecting is looking out uh and i think that you know it's interesting that you know blogging it was kind of it was a really big thing about you know a few years ago but more recently i don't know it just i just feel like there's kind of less being written on blogs and there's more kind of moving on to twitter and twitter threads and things yeah but I think that, you know, this is a great example of a blog where you can go and just find some really good ideas just to go and try in the classroom. Um, and like you say, you know, you've seen the uh, the impact of that. Uh, and you Definitely. And I think, he, I think he started writing it like maybe eight years ago or something. So there's a lot of stuff on there. He just quietly chips away. Yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. He's done basically what I wanted to try and do when I started a blog uh, eight or so years ago. And he's going yeah, yeah. Right with it and put some great ideas on there. Whereas mine is more patchy. Uh, let's just say he's uh, probably not. As we good. all start with the best intentions, but he's managed to keep them up. He's, uh, yeah. he's annoying in that way, I think. <laughs> but that's it. And that's really kind of what teaching is, isn't it? It's doing good things consistently. It's not, yeah. you know doing something amazing all the time because you you can't possibly burn yourself out but i think yeah this sounds like a great resource which uh which teachers can get into and get some of those ideas from yeah i think i think you've just completely summed it up perfectly there and and that that's sort of my philosophy as well you're not going to like you say you're going to burn yourself out if you're trying the whiz bang all singing all dancing and everything just that's one of the first lessons you need to learn really isn't it mm. if you chip away and be consistently you know solid consistently good you're going to make a massive difference and picking up resources like that that you don't need to go to the shop and buy you know whatever for you don't need to spend seven hours tweaking and adapting you just you can you can use it and it's going to help yeah definitely great resource definitely yeah, say it's, it's definitely lighten that workload and save you some time so you can actually focus. And it, actually, it's this idea of, you know, what is better to spend your precious planning and thinking time on? Is it trying to get this this worksheet or this resource perfectly right? Or is it thinking about the lesson, thinking about the questions you're going to draw into the lesson, what resources you're going to pick that are going to be the best suited to, to really draw that learning out? Uh, and I think that that is obviously, you know, the latter is, is the most important uh, and so where we can save that time with such great resources like uh, Stephen's blog, uh, then that's fantastic. Right. Well, let's thank you so much, first of all, for your time, Sam. It's been fantastic ch chatting to you that's today. Right. Uh, let's go on to your penultimate question here. So what primary, uh, who would you recommend for a future episode of this podcast? I've, I've got three. One, because I've mentioned him just there, Stephen. I think it'd be great to hear him talk and um, and maybe he's asked him how he's managed to keep a blog going for so long maybe that could be a good question for him <laughs> um, one is Peter Harden the amazing muggle on Twitter who I mentioned earlier on about his philosophy around relationships because I know that he he's really a master of that and the third is a really good friend of mine but somebody who's doing great things with technology and that's Paul Tullock um, I'd love to hear more from all three of them so I know I probably should have said one but I'm going to cheat slightly <laughs> That's fine. You're not the first to, to try. <laughs> so that's great. Okay. And then finally, Sam, uh, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education? Jen, I'm going to go back to saying we are, we are privileged with the opportunity to change people's lives. Um, I teach in an area where there's some, there's some real deprivation. You know, I know Paul does as well, who was on, you know, a while ago. Um, 
we're giving these kids experiences that they won't get otherwise. We're actually opening doors for them as well and giving them the chance to see that I can be whatever I want to be. It's not, I do this, then I do this, then I do this, and that's my life. It's actually, there's a world out there that I can go and have a stab at. And, you know, we're, we're, we're letting them see that. And what an amazing thing. You know, I, I want one day to be that teacher Sir John Jones was talking about. I want somebody to reach out to me and say, you were the reason. And you know what? What an amazing day that'll be. And, you know, all of those teachers that get those shout outs, you know, you're going to get one in however many hundred thousand, you know, interactions you have with kids. But um, what a privilege. So, yeah, we're changing lives and that, that's the best that, that's the best thing in the world. You know, one of the things that uh, I've always wondered about trying to do, and actually now I've got a bit of time as I'm isolating at this time, uh, <laughs> I might have the time to do it, is is kind of just write down the, the number of kids that I've taught or had an impact on and just kind of see that number grow over the years because, like you say, uh, it is a real honour and privilege and a great... Uh, oh, yeah, great absolutely. If you think you're teaching 30 kids a year and however many years you're teaching, and then if you're... You know, if you are in a leadership position or you know whatever role you do in assemblies and you you move in schools and it just quickly stacks up that number and yeah, I, I think my my NQT class have just graduated from university and that you just start thinking, wow, that's you know, it's crazy. <laughs> Don't start thinking too much about that. <laughs> that's brilliant well thank you so much for your time sam it's been a real honor to have you on here uh, really ha- really pleased with what you shared some great ideas there and thanks for joining us for primary education voices thank you well wasn't that fantastic um Sam, again, was another great guest on to have on the Primary Education Voices podcast. Uh, and he had some really important philosophies and ideas and resources to share with us. Um, let's talk about his primary three straight away. His first of the primary three about relationships. I mean, this is interestingly something that has started to come up as a common theme uh, on the podcast. And rightly so, as we discussed, um, you know, all the things about teaching and learning uh, that, that makes a good teacher, you know, a good subject knowledge. Uh, good use of resources and many other factors in the classroom are all important but most and for first and foremost for sam is the idea that we need to have these relationships built and that if we don't have these relationships built with the children then things become a lot more difficult sure i'm sure there could be some learning that takes place but those key relationships in place with those children uh, has a big big impact uh, and it was great having that discussion about how we can build that relationship and also the relationship we build with parents as well. I mean, that was something that we discussed as uh, perhaps we don't focus on as much or perhaps we seem to not give ourselves enough time for is building these key relationships with parents and recognising that when there is a concern that's raised with us or with the school, that it's often because the parent just wants the best for their child. And if we sit and listen a bit more, then actually... Uh, we can show that empathy, we can share that, show that compassion to those parents and see or show them that we care. And also they will then also see from our side that everything we do in school is because we have a care for all the children that we have in the school. Uh, and opening those communications can often break down those miscommunications that do and often unfortunately take place. Uh, and so 
Really strong start by Sam in terms of his primary three. And then, of course, working collaboratively. We spoke about a number of areas in which we could work collaboratively and the uh, the impact, the benefits of working collaboratively as well. First and foremost, about lightening our workload. I mean, try not to you know work for hours and hours on creating certain resources when they are probably out there and great quality resources that have been used by many, many other teachers in classrooms as well, which have seen a great impact. Uh, that will certainly lighten our workload and give us more of the time that we need to do the things such as thinking about our lessons, planning carefully the sequence of uh, instruction that we're going to do, and think about the questions and the way we're going to make sure that all learners can access that that uh, learning as well. It gives us more time to think about those things rather than trying to you know, work on that laptop to prepare those resources ourselves. All comes from working collaboratively, as well as observing teaching uh, in other schools and in other classrooms. I mean, that is something which is has been mentioned before about the idea that taking time to go and see other people teach uh, and other people in, that, in action uh, gives us so much uh, more of a vision and a, and a perspective on how things can work in the classroom. And we can develop our practice consistently over time, not just in one big flash on, on one big one course here or there, but just seeing little things here and there on Twitter, in other people's classrooms, in other schools, uh, and just getting that healthy, balanced diet of looking outwards and seeing in different areas how things are done differently. Not because things are necessarily being done horribly wrong where we are, but there is always ways we can improve and adapt our practice. And then the third of the primary three that Sam shared was, of course, Stephen Connor's blog in the 12. Um, I do fully recommend that you go have a look at that and we'll share the link to that uh, on our on our website as we catch up with our episodes. Uh, but of course, you can just um, Google in the 12 uh, WordPress and I'm sure it will come up. Or if you're not even sure you can uh, where to find it, you can direct message Sam. I'm sure he's pointing you in the right direction at Mr. Keys underscore DHT. Uh, so those are some those are three great things that Sam shared with us, as as well as all the other things he talked about, his route into teaching and the number of things he shared with us. Really enjoyed that discussion. All that's left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague that you'd love to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt and let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support, support staff you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow primary practitioners. And please leave a review on your podcasting platform, which would really help get the word out more. Thank you for joining me to hear another primary education voice and see you again next time when we'll meet another inspirational educator.